Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. It's going to be kind of a short one this week. Uh, I don't have a guest, and there actually wasn't too much to talk about, and I was kind of swamped as well this week, so I guess it all kind of works out. But uh, still a bunch of good stuff to talk about, just not a very long one. So I guess I'll jump right into it. First up, Kevtris added support for the Adventure Vision, Video Brain, and Studio 2 consoles for the NT Mini. So not the most popular cores, but you know, it's still progress, and I still love to see this stuff. Also, uh, Smoke Monster has posted links to the BIOSes for each of the cores, the, the, at least the proper ones that you should be using, which is a gigantic help because it's kind of a pain if you don't know what to look for sometimes. And I know I actually ended up getting like a bad um, SMS BIOS at one point, which was causing issues with my games. So it uh, looks like just another step to make this a whole lot easier to use. And speaking of Smoke Monster, he has updates to almost every one of his ROM set packs, and there's a lot of amazing stuff in these. Anything from different game series collections, like the SNES Mouse games, to uh, the certain other conversions and stuff like that, definitely check them out. Uh, just Google Smoke Monster ROM set, find the forum, and then you'll be able to get the download links for it and everything. So uh, a huge thanks to him for working on that. And also, he's working with uh, somebody else on making an NT Mini, uh, full pack for that. So basically you'll be able to download one file, extract it to an SD card, and have the NT Mini, all of the uh, cores, all of the ROMs for each of the cores, all of the BIOSes, the palettes, everything. So that's pretty amazing. I mean, that just, you know, in my opinion, stuff like that makes the NT Mini that much more um, desirable to have, I guess, because now you just, you buy this hardware, you buy a SD card, you download this pack, you put it all together, wait for it to update, and you're done. So that's pretty incredible, and a huge thanks to those guys that are working on the project, and I'll post another update when the actual download is live. It might be by the time this video shows up, but most likely it'll be by next week as well. Next, the creator of the open-source Dreamcast HDMI project has posted on the Shmups forum a little more information about it, and he thinks if you want just a very, very basic HDMI output, you might be able to build a kit for about $30 worth of parts. And this wouldn't be fully functional, and there's a little caveats to it, but I just, I really like the way he's approaching this, in that, you know, he well, first, the fact that he's open-sourcing everything's pretty awesome, but also he's providing people a, a bare minimum and then, of course, different ways to make it even better. So if you're really into do-it-yourself projects and uh, you like things like that, definitely something to look into. And I'll be following the project as it progresses, and hopefully it'll get to a point where uh, we see a bunch of different people's versions of it so we can test them out and really see how it looks. Next, RetroTink.com just released a component and S-Video output board for the Raspberry Pi. So this is obviously designed for people whose TV consumer-grade CRT doesn't have RGB inputs. So you would just use uh, S-Video 
um, or the component video outputs. Now, it does support composite output as well, but so does just that uh, main 3.5mm jack. So if you really only want to use comp uh, composite, you could just use the cable, but don't do that. <laughs> S-Video is so much better, and obviously component is even a higher step up. But it's $85 available from their website, and I've only done uh, some preliminary testing so far, but I like it. It works great. Um, if I had... Uh, a consumer grade CRT with component inputs, this is exactly the method I would use to do it. Uh, it's fully compatible with 240p and does require a slightly different config.txt file or just the code for it, which is provided on their website. Uh, and I'll be doing a comparison, well not really a comparison, I guess just a shootout of all the different Raspberry Pi RGB component HDMI methods for retro gaming. Um, and I'll definitely include this in it. I'm not sure how long it's going to take to get to that because I want uh, I want to wait till at the very least Laka's latest version leaves beta and it's official and I've been working with the team behind the RGB Pi actually I think it's just one person and I really would like to see those get a little more finished before I do the full video on it but uh, I mean if you're looking for a component video solution right now this is definitely the one to get um, you know I don't, there's nothing else out there and it performs great and uh, eventually I'll do screenshots and take, you know, comparison videos and all that stuff. But as of now, I really like it, and I think it's a, a great little addition. And, it's, you know, it's, of course, I'm always loving the Raspberry Pi arcade gaming just because it's so cheap and easy to do. And I know a lot of people say, you know, well, you could do so much more with a PC. But it just, there's also a lot more work involved, whereas this, you just plug it in and go. So, excellent job from RetroTink.com, and uh, I will continue to update people on um, my progress with this and what I find with it. Next, the team behind the Genesis version of the game Cave Story just released a new version that you could actually beat the game now. There's a bunch of different bug fixes, um, and you could actually go through and beat the full entire game now. And I guess, uh, I mean, it's getting pretty close to the end. Uh, I've played it, it looks like it's running great. I believe it's running at uh, 60 frames a second. I could be wrong about that, but it definitely uh, seemed like a high frame rate. And it just, I mean, it's very cool. So I will be, uh, I think I want to wait till it's completely done, just because I have so many other projects on my plate anyway at this point. But uh, as soon as it's really, uh, at least a 1.0 version of it, I will definitely go through and play the whole thing and I might even uh, do it all on Twitch and YouTube just because I really loved the Wii version of this game and to play it in real 240p on an RGB monitor I think would be pretty badass so uh, huge congratulations to the team they've really put so much work into it and it plays great so hopefully we'll see a version 1.0 by the end of the year maybe next Marcus has just announced an update to the open source scan converter project he said the next version of the PCB is going to have a bunch of additions and changes. And he said uh, a few of them are audio will be uh, added to every board so that you won't need that special add-on board. The audio will be passed through automatically. Um, the existing 3.5mm audio connector could also be used as an AV1 pass-through or the AV2 audio input selectable with a miniature switch. He said there's also going to be an extra 3.5mm connector added for a dedicated AV3 audio input, which are all very cool. And another uh, thing that's pretty awesome for people who have JP21 cables, he said there's going to be an alternate revision with a JP21 connector on it, 
which was all kind of cool and surprising. Um, and he said the form factor has remained the same, so all cables, uh, with all cables plugged in, it will get a little crammed because it's still small and the cables are kind of just, you know, right on top of each other. Um, and he, you know, he said the design is almost finished and ready for a test run, after which kits should be available from a few resellers, depending on demand. He said the PCB version 1.6 design files and Gerber's will also be updated to GitHub for those who want to proceed independently, which is really great because, and that's super, super nice of him. Because what that translates to is anybody that really wants to have one made can just take his design files, add stuff, and do it. So he's pretty much giving away the keys to his castle right here, which is, I mean, you know, while, yeah, that's in the spirit of open source, there's different open source licenses, as we've discussed before on the Retro Roundtable podcast and everything else. So it's really amazing that he's just allowing people to do this. Um, and I, I hope to see versions of this soon. Uh, there's also the OSSC Wolf Edition that'll be coming out probably sometime this year, I would suspect. Um, he's making good progress on that. So th- in my personal opinion, the more choices, the better. You know, certain things will fit people's needs better than others. And it's just great to see such an awesome project have such a great update to it. So a huge thanks to Marcus for all of the work he's put into this, and uh, I hope we could all find a way to buy a bunch from him and make him a ton of money from it somehow. So congrats to him, and uh, we'll keep everybody updated on when this version 1.6 is available and how to get it. The website evilgames.eu has just uploaded a ton of patches that allow you to have PAL SNES games patched to run at NTSC 60Hz. This is pretty cool because there was a few regional differences for some of the PAL games, and if you were to just try to play them on NTSC consoles with converters, they might run too fast, the music would be off, and things like that. So now you could actually experience them the way they should be, um, but you know, with also the reasonable regional differences. Um, not only did he have the patches uploaded, but there's also instructions on how to do this yourself for other games that aren't already patched which is pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to trying some of these. I haven't really gone through any of them yet. I haven't had time. But I know that the patches are available right away for people that want to do it themselves. And I believe Smoke Monster is going to be making these available in his ROM packs as well. So very cool for people that wanted to play some of the PAL games on NTSC consoles in the correct uh, 60 hertz. I just spoke to Jason from GameTech, and he said there's still a few do-it-yourself Ultra HDMI kits available for the N64. So if you were looking to do your own Ultra HDMI installation, or the modder that you use requires you to buy the board first, then definitely pick one up right now. I actually only think a few modders buy it, buy the kit and offer the installation service. I think most people have you buy the kit and ship everything to them. So definitely, ch- uh, if you were waiting to get one of these, definitely grab it now before the pre-orders are sold out. I'm sure he'll do another one eventually, but that could be a few months away, so this would be the best time and place to get it. So uh, link is in the description for anybody that needs one. Next, my buddy Joel sent me a video about somebody who used a CRT rejuvenator to fix an old CRT that was giving him issues. And I thought the video was pretty neat. I've never used one of these before, um, and I'm actually trying to find one, the one that they use in the video, which I don't think they're available anywhere. But if anybody has any experience with these things, please post in the comments, because I'd really love to know a little bit more about it and the extent to which they could be used. Is this something that we could even use with a BVM or a PVM that needs some CRT work done to it? Um, will it fix those spots that you sometimes uh, get on tubes? I know uh, degaussing wands will sometimes fix those, but I think you need a little bit more 
uh, you know, a little more work in order to get that fixed. So if anybody has any other info, please post it in the comments. I'd love to, to hear what you have to say and maybe eventually get one myself to mess with. Next, the arcade game Chase HQ2 is now available as Windows software. I guess a team was able to decrypt it and also uh, not only just make it a functional software but incorporate multiplayer as well. And this is really cool because this is an arcade game that's pretty late in the life of arcade games. It was from 2007. So I don't think this will be playable on MAME machines at all. Um, and if so, MAME would, it would probably be years before it was able to support it. But it, at the very least, is available as a standalone Windows program. So anytime a game like this could be preserved, I'm always happy. And I'm glad there's an archive of it somewhere and not just the big main boards from it. But great work to them, and I hope to see more stuff like this available as well. Next, someone has posted a 3D design file for a GameCube digital port. So something like this would be really great for projects like the mini GameCube video dongle we saw last week on the podcast. And my only concern with something like this is 3D printing is never consistent. Actually, even plastic production isn't, um, isn't consistent at all. When my old company used to make runs of uh, like the backs of the computers, we'd make five, ten thousand 10,000 at a clip. And the first one, the middle one, and the last one would always fit slightly different from each other. So it's not that big of a deal when you're doing main injection mold manufacturing like that, but for 3D printing, it is kind of a big deal. And I think uh, if anybody were to make these for their own consoles or for even the hobby projects like the little GameCube video dongle we saw last week, it would be my amateur suggestion to try to make them just a hair too big and then you would have to sand down each one to fit perfectly. But that way, you know, the worst case is you're expecting to sand them down anyway, and the best case is it just happens to fit snugly on the first try. But if you manufactured 10 of these with a, a 3D printer, I guarantee all 10 will fit completely different, and it'll be pretty easy to get one that kind of flops around on the inside and doesn't hold tight. So it's funny, because stuff like that with 3D printing doesn't usually matter. You know, for things like the... Um, I love my Raspberry Pi SNES case that was 3D printed. You know, if it's off a hair, that won't matter at all. It'll still fit together. But when you're using it to hold in a PCB, that's actually a much bigger deal. Uh, and this person on the, on the 3D printing design, there's actually also a link to a PCB board. So maybe this is going to be something great for the GameCube video hobbyists that want to make their own. Maybe not, but definitely thought it was worth sharing. And if nothing else, it's really cool that people were actually making and sharing the stuff for the community. So great work, and I'd love to see one in person just to, just to see how it works. Next, a brand new arcade game is about to be released. It's a side-scrolling shooter that looks really awesome, uh, and they're selling it both as a Gemma kit and they're also offering a full stand-up CRT arcade for, I think, $3,500. So, I mean, while that sounds really expensive, that's just a little bit more than what they went for in the 90s. So adjusted for inflation, it's probably the same as what they went for in the 90s. So it's kind of exciting, and obviously this isn't something um, your average collector would buy. But anybody that owns an arcade, this, you know, if you promote it right, you might actually be able to make your money back within a year or so on this thing. 
because it looks really awesome and just the thought of a, a brand new arcade game is just really awesome. So hopefully I could uh, eventually see one in person. They have a list of where they're located, and there's actually one in New York City, but the address they give doesn't really make sense. So hopefully I'll have time to go poking by there this weekend and see what I could find. But if there is actually a prototype there, I will definitely take video of it and talk about it next week. Someone has started a GitHub project where they're reverse engineering the Nintendo Switch. And it's kind of a cool project. I think at the moment he has the Joy-Con information up there as well as their Bluetooth stacks. And it just, it seems kind of neat. So, you know, it just goes to show you how far we've come, you know, as nerds in general, you know, from the 90s till now, where it's a system is just a few weeks old and we're already taking it apart and reverse engineering it and seeing how it works. I think that's really awesome. So I'm not sure what we could actually do with any of this info, but I'm going to follow the project anyway just for the hell of it. And finally, I wanted to talk about an event I went to this weekend. It's called Too Old, Too Furious, and it was a bunch of guys that set up a Street Fighter II tournament. And from the moment I walked in, I was really, really impressed. These guys went to a place called Next Level Gaming in Brooklyn, which is set up as a multiplayer gaming place. It's, it's very cool. I've been there once before when there wasn't an event going on, so it actually you couldn't really understand uh, how nice they set the place up. And this was my first time there with a full event. And people had actually brought PVMs and real CPS2 arcade boards and uh, really well-built arcade controllers to this. And they had a full tournament and streamed the whole thing. And my favorite part was a cabinet design that was the Sega ar dual arcade cabs where you face each other, but each screen shows the same thing. So when you're playing a fighting tournament, you know, one person could stand on one side, elbows out and the other on the other side, and not have to worry about bumping into each other and just be able to actually stretch out and play, which is really cool. And my buddy Jose actually was the one that wired this up um, and did the splitter. So the way he did it, a lot of people, when they uh, want to stream these things, they actually just take the RGB outputs and solder them to two, two outs, which is really bad. Not only does it dim the output of all of both monitors and the actual stream, but you know it actually puts a lot of load uh, on the arcade video outputs themselves. So what he actually did is wired up his own connector that takes the output, um, and he did it all through a JAMA connector, but basically it takes the video output into a VGA switch, a VGA distribution amp, and then it goes from that to the two arcade monitors and then to the actual streaming output board, which he built kind of another thing to convert it to that. Then he goes from there to an open source scan converter into the capture card out the stream. So it was really cool. I'm so glad I got to see that in person. And uh, when I got there, it was packed. I mean, everybody was really going nuts, and I was in the way the whole time. So a really big apology to the people running it and to the guy who was in the tournament that I bumped into while he was playing. I felt like such an asshole. If the guy had gotten up out of his chair and punched me in the face, I would have just apologized and you know bought him a beer or something. So, But nobody, no one got mad. I was in and out of there pretty quickly. I didn't want to be in the way, but... Uh, so it was just a really cool event, and it's something that I want to go back to again. And I'm going to bring my buddy Jamal with me next time, because he is like the Street Fighter champ that I know. I've never seen anybody be able to beat this dude. So I'm going to bring him to the next one, where, uh, and I'm going to make sure to let everybody know when the official date of it is. 
I have links in the description to their Twitter account as well as the Twitch streams and everything else because this was just a lot of fun. Um, I never really lived around places when I was a kid that had these kind of tournaments. Even though they did exist, it wasn't as widespread. So now that people are actually going through the efforts to drag PVMs down there, real arcade equipment, real high-quality arcade sticks, I mean, this is as legit as it gets. So the next one, I will definitely be there. Uh, hopefully anybody around the New York area will come. I think this one had people all the way down from Maryland, I think was the farthest that drove up to see it. A bunch of people from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. So... Hopefully this time, uh, or next time, a bunch more people will come, and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm bringing the big guns. I'm bringing Jamal with me next time to see how far he can get. So uh, huge congratulations to Min and the Team Spooky that put this together. Um, big high five to Jose that actually made the, the arcade board happen through the stream. And I believe my buddy Ben did a lot of work on the arcade, actual arcade sticks there too. So just what a cool experience. And I know it's probably annoying to the people who aren't in the New York area to hear me talk about this stuff, but like... If, you're, if you live far away and none of this stuff is around you, maybe contact these guys and do your own. Or even better, try to get it so, you know, maybe it's it could be a global thing so eventually the winners can do that new online Street Fighter thing that they've been doing for a while. So, I don't know. I was just really excited about it and wanted to share it with everybody because it just looked like a blast. And uh, if there's ever a Mortal Kombat 1 tournament, I'm in. Because that's the only fighting game I would consider myself decent enough at to try to actually compete. The rest of them, I pretty much just suck. I'm not even that great at Mortal Kombat. I just feel like I would definitely make it past round one. <laughs> Whereas with the Street Fighter, no fucking way. So, congrats to that whole team involved and I can't wait to see the next one. Now onto the Q&A stuff. A few people had pointed out that the Paprium game I talked about last week, I got a few of the details wrong. And the biggest one is that the arcade stick uh, will not come with a copy of the game. If you want that arcade stick, you have to buy the game and the stick. And also, uh, I think I might have said it was available, but it's actually a pre-order. So sorry about that mistake. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I should have known all these details a little more. I just, I get spammed pretty bad about this. And most of it was genuine. Most of it was people just excited for the project who wanted to make sure I, I figured out, you know, the, all, or I knew about it and talked about it. But it just, it was really overwhelming because I got so many emails about this. And then every time I went to the website, it was just a countdown clock. So I was kind of like, ah, oh, whatever. And then I finally, you know, when the countdown clock hit zero, it was 8 p.m. Eastern time. And I'm sitting in front of it and nothing happened for like a half hour. So I just, you know, one of the details did pop up. I just read it really quick and threw it in. So I'll make sure to be more thorough about that next time. But it was just a little bit of a frustrating experience for me. But I get it. I mean, it's really cool. It looks like an awesome game. It looks like something that, you know, I would like as a fan of the Genesis and any new projects. So, um, yep, just to correct myself, there's, it's definitely a pre-order at the moment. Not available for ship right away. And the arcade stick will not include a copy of the game. Next up, Spyro Gyro asked, Have I tried the Shiny Bow SCART to component converter? I actually haven't, but somebody was nice enough to mail me theirs, so when it arrives, I'm going to do a SCART to component shootout with the different options. I'll have the, uh, that awful CSY clone that I always complain about, and I'll try to put together a video as soon as they arrive, so most likely by the next podcast. So hopefully we'll get details and see if there's really a big difference between any of them. Next, Michael's Workshop asked if the GameCube HDMI prototype I showed last week, if the audio worked through the HDMI port, and it did. 
Actually, even the creator of that project said that he had had trouble with one of his TVs. The audio wasn't passing through HDMI. He needed to actually take the analog output. But on all of the, the displays and the capture card I tried, the audio went through just fine. So I guess that was just a prototype, and he's working on his next revision of that. So whenever that happens, or whenever I get that revision, I'll definitely test on as many displays as I can, just to see if I could find... Maybe there's just one type that's not compatible, but uh, good question, though. Next, Rob from Retro Gaming Cables posted in the comments that he has an update to the fully shielded RGB cables that he's working on, the Pack-A-Punch versions, as he calls them. And he said he got some great mini coax cable in, and he's going to be working on some test cables for Genesis. Uh, and those should probably be out within about a month. So that's pretty awesome. I'm a big fan of those shielded cables, and I'm, when the new ones come out, I'm probably going to buy a whole other set from them just because. So uh, great work from him, and I hope to keep seeing the stuff coming. Well, that's it for this week. Sorry for the short one, but I should be back on track next week with a, an interview and maybe some more cool stuff as well. But as always, um, any comments or criticism, pre please post down below, and I will see you guys next week.